This is the In Focus podcast from the Hindu. Hello and welcome to another edition of the In Focus podcast. I am your host Jay Sampath. It obviously means the world to me. Um I'm really living my childhood dream. I feel like I'm a little bit in shock in this moment. Um, you know, that French Open loss was a heartbreak. After 2 weeks of high octane tennis, the US Open has produced two new champions in men's and women's singles. Novak Djokovic has claimed a record 24th Grand Slam, and Coco Gauff has finally fulfilled her promise with a victory over the new world number 1 Arina Sabalenka. Some of the matchups in the tournament were intriguing, and so were their outcomes. Daniel Medvedev versus Alcaraz, for instance, and also Carolina Mukova versus Coco Gauff. We also saw the young American Ben Shelton announce his arrival on the big stage by making it to the semis. We discuss all these matches and more in this episode of In Focus, and we have with us Sudarshan Narayanan from the Hindu Sports Bureau. Sudarshan, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you, Sampat, for having me here. So, Sudeshan, this is Djokovic's twenty-fourth Grand Slam at the age of thirty-six, and he is at least a decade older than most of his opponents in the most grueling and physical of sports. So, how do we make sense of this? What are your thoughts on this phenomenon? It's uh, actually astounding what he is able to do at the age of thirty-six, like you mentioned. I feel it's a combination of his physical conditioning. supreme fitness and that great ability that he has to summon his best tennis at the most crucial moments it was not, it's not like his fitness right now is at supreme levels in the french open semi final we did see that he missed a step or two in the cincinnati final again again he had a bit of a struggle and even against medvedev in the final us open final that second set the long 104 minute second set there were moments when he looked absolutely absolutely gassed out but the way he is able to manage those situations is something remarkable to me it, he has mastered the mental game we can go into these hypotheticals and think what would have happened if he had lost that long second set to medvedev it would have become one set all and djokovic did admit that medvedev was a better player in that set but at crucial moments his tennis basically did the talking this is a great ability like i would like to go back to to 2021 french open the quarter the match against nadal nadal had a set point at one set all in the third set tiebreaker but what did djokovic do he came up with the most audacious drop shot i have ever seen now it is this bravery that actually saved him against medvedev as well faced with a break point in the second set he served and volleyed his way out of trouble again at 4-5 in the tiebreaker he conjured three superb nerveless points to take the tiebreaker so i feel it's a complimentary set he is able to manage his fitness his conditioning is good and his tennis does the talking at the most important moments uh one change i'm noticing with djokovic now especially after he said it as well is that he is now prioritizing the big slams which was not necessarily the case until recently he would play the full tour he would play all masters a few 500s a few 250s as well this year he missed the rogers cup so i expect more of that in future and i feel that saving himself for the big uh, tournaments 
and also a good combination of his fitness and his tennis is what uh, is actually keeping him at the top of the game right so i mean i, I that is a very good analysis uh, sudarshan i mean i have three big points you made one is of course his tennis did the talking uh, very able to raise his game on crucial points second is his fitness and third is his mastery of the mental game now we know that medvedev and djokovic did face off before in a us open final and on that occasion medvedev won in straight sets uh, why couldn't he reproduce that result this time given that medvedev was playing on his favorite surface at his favorite venue uh, a court is really familiar with did he was his level not the same as what it was say uh, the last time they played against each other on this court or even against alcaraz was he at a lower level or did he miss out a few tricks in terms of tactics i mean he still standing like really far from the baseline even when uh, it wasn't really showing results did he miss a trick or two do you think yeah i again feel it's a combination of things with the tactics big uh, being the big reason that's what i feel uh because ever since uh, medvedev uh, beat djokovic in the 2021 final the serb has actually changed the tactics a bit like he comes in more to the net against uh, medvedev he did that in the paris masters in 2021 immediately after the us open and he won that match against medvedev and if you see even nadal had reasonable success against medvedev in that area in the 2019 us open final and djokovic in sunday's final the stats said that he won 37 of the 44 points at the net and medvedev like you mentioned stood 20 feet behind the baseline for 80% of the points and he barely shifted uh, it was surprising to me because it was clear what djokovic was trying to do and he had done that to medvedev in the past but medvedev didn't counter it and he later actually admitted it that he was a bit stubborn on the return he should have probably changed his tactics a bit and but he had that belief that it's going to work at some point and by then the set was over and then he said that he thought maybe he should have changed a bit of the tactics earlier so i do feel that tactics played a huge part in deciding the outcome of this match right so if as you say servant volley really is a tactic that works against a medvedev how come he did not uh, work for alcaraz because he's an excellent uh, volleyer he, he we have seen him do serve and volley against djokovic at wimbledon with great success and we've also been hearing quite some time now that alcaraz is a complete player uh, that he and djokovic are a cut above the rest of the guys on the tour so what did you make of the medvedev alcaraz match in this context i don't think not many people were expecting medvedev to actually win did you expect him to actually pull it off uh no frankly i didn't expect medvedev to win because uh the previous matches the duo played at indian wells and wimbledon alcaraz was clearly the better player and he won won those matches i'll go back to what you actually mentioned that why did the servan volley uh technique uh, not work uh for alcaraz against uh, medvedev he actually tried the servan volley technique as much as djokovic did but it's just that and he had reasonable success as well alcaraz it's just that during the biggest moments actually those points just didn't come off now in the second set when in the game the first game uh, alcaraz was broken he he tried three successive serve and volley points and lost all three djokovic was just better at those points and alcaraz couldn't quite be as efficient and it is also something i noticed through the match 
is that Alcaraz was more impatient than he usually is. He is generally very adept at not going for those pressure relieving shots, what you call desperate shots. You just pull the trigger. So he generally doesn't go for it, but he went for more of those shots against Medvedev. And Medvedev also played a near perfect match. Like he served big, he was not very uh, afraid of landing those serves outside the first serves, especially. He served very big and he actually stood as back as he always does, but that had some success against Alcaraz because the stats said that Alcaraz ended up with zero aces. Medvedev was basically returning everything. I would actually go back to what Riley Opelka said, the American player said uh, sometime last year, that Medvedev is one of those rare players who serves big, takes care of his serve pretty well, but he is in play in every return game. He basically returns everything. That's what really happened against Alcaraz. He returned everything. And when Alcaraz advanced to the net, I felt Medvedev's shots were more angled. The passes were were sharply angled and it went beyond Alcaraz's uh, uh, strike zone. So when when I actually think of it, this success that Medvedev had against Alcaraz by standing so far deep, that may have prompted him to continue the same stack tactics against Djokovic and be stubborn about the thing that it may ultimately work, but it didn't work against Djokovic. So basically what worked against Alcaraz didn't exactly work against Djokovic is what I would say. Right, that's a very interesting uh, contrast. But do you think that's because Medvedev did not play as well in terms of returns uh, passing shots, etc., versus Djokovic as he did against Alcaraz, or is it just because Djokovic was a much better uh, server and warrior than Alcaraz? Djokovic is more efficient, I would say, because he doesn't show those uh, tactics of his pretty. Uh, he, I would say, it is well, very well disguised because we didn't see Djokovic do that uh, pretty uh, frequently in the past, and it's also that Medvedev uh, had a few wrong choices he made uh, in hindsight, I would say, against uh, Djokovic. There was a moment when on break point, he could have grown cross-court, but he went straight and Djokovic was there for an easy reflex volley. So, we can always go back in hindsight and say, maybe he could have done that. He could have done this. It's just that on crucial moments against Djokovic, it it just didn't fall in his uh, uh, direction. But while against Alcaraz, he was absolutely perfect with every selection that he made. Right. I mean, it does seem like he did not quite recapture that level uh, against Djokovic, which he had against Alcaraz. And yes, the poor short, short selection, especially on break points, was something Medvedev also, I think, has acknowledged. Now, moving on to the women's side, so there's now Coco Goff, she's only 19, but she's been around for what seems like a very long time. She's been spoken of as the next big thing of American tennis, I think, for ages now. And uh, she keeps making it to maybe to the second uh, week, but not really uh, winning a Grand Slam. But this time she has. So, what improvements do you think she has made uh, to be able to finally win a Slam, to beat the current world number one, Arina Sabalenka? Yeah, for golf, it was all despair at Wimbledon. Uh, she lost in the first round to Sofia Kenin and it seemed like her career had sort of stalled. But since then, she has had a coaching change and uh, she has won three of her biggest titles in the US Open. A change that I did notice was her forehand is more steady now. It is still not as powerful as it should be or as powerful as she wants it to be. But it's not as vulnerable as it was. The serve is more consistent. She could always hit big. Uh, there was a report that even when she was in her fully into her junior career, even four years back, she could hit 120 MPH on the serve. It's just that she could hit it 
but not very consistently now he's she is able to consistently land those serves and she has also been able to alter her footwork to get into better positions so these have been these significant improvements but what actually won her the title here was her excellent defense now against uh, igor shiontek in the cincinnati semi final she served well and played great defense and against sabalenka too she played great defense in the second and the third sets forced sabalenka to way, miss way more than she would otherwise and at the start of the second set actually her serve was starting to come together and then the defense and the running basically took over she started guessing right where sabalanka wanted to hit the ball and sabalanka once she thought realized that goff was actually guessing them right she started missing way more because she she went for more power and more uh, penetration so if you see actually goff had only around 10 or 12 winners in the match uh, if i am uh, correct but the good thing that goff did after the final was she admitted that this is not the way she wants to play actually running all around trusting her defense primarily she wants to hit more winners she has spoken about the need to get her serve and the plus one shot uh, together because that's basically the staple for every attacking player so she won the title with great defense and great running athleticism uh, but she's only 19 and she wants to improve so therein i feel that there is a lot of room for her to get better at her game Right, it's very interesting uh, what you said just now. Position you said that she wasn't really uh, happy about the way she won, even though she was able to pull it off. She was she's not that much into uh, a defensive play, and also secondly, you said she was able to guess Sabalenka's attacking shots. Right, Sabalenka is an attacking player, and if your defense can outlast uh, her attack, you are uh, obviously going to win. I was just wondering. If, do you think this has this may have anything to do with the new coach uh, Brad Gilbertman? He's written that book, what playing ugly, I think. It's a, it's a very popular book, and he is very uh, highly reliant on like deep analysis based on statistics. You know, where does a particular player like to hit at a particular situation? Do you think those kinds of analysis could have helped her predict which way Sabalenka was going to go, and then make sure that she's there uh, to sort of defend her from her shots? i would i would feel so because brad gilbert has past experience coaching slam champions i think he also coached uh, rodic to the 2003 us open title so he has been in the game for long and this guessing bit i do feel that uh, goff does it better because there was a stat somewhere that i saw that she actually puts her racket to most more smashes than any other player now if a person can actually guess which way player is going to an opponent is going to smash that actually tells you that she can actually read the game pretty well so with gilbert i feel that that has sort of improved so she is a bit of a tennis nerd i would say and she's only 19 and uh, she has so far shown great in- intelligence to actually cover up for her uh, i wouldn't say deficiencies but some lacune in her game and going forward I, i just feel that she's going to improve leaps and bounds right uh, another big development uh, during this tournament was the number one ranking from sabalenka and uh, and uh, shwantek's exit from from that same uh, position and we've also seen uh, i would say i mean many people expected uh, the wimbledon champion vondrusova to sort of quietly sneak into the final and carolina mukova is an is an amazing player to watch 
she's had some fantastic victories, but she lost to Coco Goff, uh, some would say unexpectedly. So what are your thoughts on uh, their losses? I mean, John Rousseau, I think, was nursing an injury. But what about Mukova and Sabalenka? Where do you think they missed out? I think Mukova also was physically not at her uh, full uh, thing because uh, she did have a strap from her biceps to her wrist on the right arm. So she had a compression sleeve. And uh, she did admit after the match that uh, she was made to move by Goff way more than she would like. And Goff always got that extra ball back, uh, forcing Mukova to come up with maybe uh, two or three winners to win a point. And uh, against Mukova, Goff also mixed up her shots a lot more. There were power forehands and there were uh, some of those uh, wobbly, loopy ones. So she actually made Mukova move around the court, work more hard than she would have otherwise against any opponent. Wondrasova, like you mentioned, was bothered by a right elbow injury. I think she also withdrew from doubles because of that. And because of that, I felt that her serves were very slow. I mean, not even reaching uh, 100, 105. And Madison Keys is actually a very good power player. And she actually showed that in the first set against Sabalenka. She was actually in a winning position with that match. She can actually hit with flat, brute power. And Wondrosova had no answer to it. And Sabalenka, partly I feel she sort of self-destructed. It's just that she didn't have a plan B. So in the first set, she was going for her shots, all the shots landed in. And in the second, when she started missing, she didn't know what to do. It was reminiscent of her meltdown in the French Open semifinal, I would say. I thought she would have learned from the win against Madison Keys here in the semis, where she was in a losing position after one and a half sets, but she made a comeback. She played a very steady game and also relied on her attacking uh, this thing. She hung in there. I thought she would hang, hang in there against Goff when things weren't going her way, but uh, she couldn't quite do it. So maybe that's the improvement point for her, that how to sort of hang in there and be in touch with your opponent when things are not going your way, rather than just combusting the way she did. Right. I mean, Sabalanka, I think she's always had uh, some kind of, I mean, she's mentally rather fragile is what one uh, perceives from the way she plays, uh, how she could suddenly, especially with her service and so on. Now, moving on to a slightly different uh, question, Sudarshan. Now, both the men's and women's side have a new world number one. We have got Djokovic, who has taken over from Alcaraz, who was the number one when the US Open started. A similar scene with Schwantek giving way to Sabalenka. But neither of their, uh, what should I say, supremacy is very much in the given. We have got Alcaraz ready to challenge him. And similarly, there are a number of claimants for the number one position, including Coco Goff. So how long do you think uh, these two are going to hold on to their number one position, uh, given the competition? Uh, I don't think anybody will have a long reign now, just because how closely bunched they are in terms of points. Now, Djokovic leads Alcaraz by over 3,000 points, which is huge. But going forward, he's actually defending two uh, 250 ATP, ATP 250 tournament wins, so that's 500 points. He reached the final in Paris. He's defending that points. He won the World Tour final, so that points is also he's also defending. But Alcaraz had a first round exit in the first tournament he played after US Open, and then he made a semi final and the quarter final. 
and he didn't play the world tour final so he doesn't have that many points to defend whereas djokovic had has a truckload of points to defend and more importantly what needs to be taken into account is that djokovic is also the defending champion in adelaide and australian open going into 2024 alcaraz didn't play either event so alcaraz has a lot of points to gain and djokovic has to literally play as well as he is doing now until the australian open to actually keep up uh, keep the number one ranking with him uh, and same with uh, sabalenka and shiontek though the difference there is much smaller sabalenka i think leads uh, shiontek only by around uh, 1000 points and uh, sabalenka has the year end final points to defend and shiontek has the semi final points to defend and also a couple of uh, finals and tournament wins so the points differential is not that much uh, going going into the i mean fag end of the season so i don't see it dominating run for either number ones now right that's an exciting thing for uh, tennis buffs and spectators to follow uh, one final question before we wrap up so that so jokovic's coach ivanisovic has said after his us open victory that uh, jokovic is planning to play in the 2028 olympics now that's another 5 years away so do you see him uh, being at the top level for another 5 years he'll be 41 by the time and given the pace and the and the nature of the sport how the toll it takes on its body we've seen nadal give up this entire year for instance do you see him being able to last for another 5 years till the 28 olympics i'm not sure if he can actually dominate the way he is doing but going by his current form his ability to manage his body and his decision making in what to play and what not to play focusing on the big events uh, i do give him a 50 50 chance of being around but you just never know just as astonishing as his current feats are uh, this is a sport where the slide can be very swift too uh, let's just hope that it doesn't happen and he is around uh, for 2028 olympics but to see him dominate i i feel it's a bit of a stretch right it is a bit of a stretch but uh, you never know with djokovic he is uh, someone who has the capacity to surprise and uh, as this tournament showed uh, he did uh, surprise many uh, who were actually backing alcaraz uh, with all the change of god uh, talk that was <laughs> that we have been hearing it's been a fantastic tennis season so far it's not yet over the grand slam part of it is over but the rest of the tour is still there the atp tour finals is yet to come thank you so much uh, sudarshan for joining us and sharing your observations and insights on the matches and the tournament as a whole it's always a pleasure talking tennis with you thank you so much thank you so much sampath it's always a pleasure to talk to you as well in focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues in the meantime you can find our podcast on spotify apple podcasts stitcher and other platforms just search for in focus by the hindu we'll see you soon